0: Hello, wonderful listeners of Authentic Leadership for Everyday People. It's November, which means that in the US, we're celebrating Thanksgiving at the end of the month. It's a season to express our gratitude, and a great way to express gratitude is to pay it forward. And this is why I have chosen to support a wonderful initiative by Will Reynolds, a leader that you will hear from in the month of December, and somebody who in his life has actually shown and walked the walk of paying things forward. I am supporting his initiative two ways. First of all, I have made a donation, And second, I'm going to turn the microphone over to him to tell you what he's doing. After you hear that, I'm going to quickly come back and tell you where you can make a donation to support it.
1: Howdy, friends. I'm Will Reynolds, and I am sleeping outside on November 19th to raise awareness, but also to raise a boatload of money for homeless youth in the city of Philadelphia. And the reason why this is important to me is we have a cutoff date. When it's your 18th birthday, you're technically an adult. So that means like if you're 17 years old and 364 days, we have support systems for those youth. If you're one day later, there's a lot fewer resources. And we throw those youth into adult homeless facilities with a lot less government support. And that is why I'm sleeping outside because the Covenant House, for whom I've been sleeping outside for 12 years to raise money for homeless youth in our city, they focus specifically on that 18 to 22-year-old youth who's probably still more like a kid than they are like an adult. And now they just don't have as many resources. So that's why I'm sleeping out. Would appreciate your support. Thanks so much.
0: As you can tell, it's a wonderful cause. Let me just share what resonated with me on this and why I chose it as something to support this month. The first thing is the fact that it is local to his own community. The second thing is that he's actually doing an action that puts him on the same level as the people that he's helping. And so it shows a tremendous amount of empathy. Third and final is the fact that as you have heard, he's been doing this for 12 or 13 years, which shows a tremendous amount of commitment and consistency. So if you want to help to donate, go to bit.ly backslash helpwill1122 spelled B-I-T dot L-Y backslash helpwil one Yes, Will's name is spelled with only one L. So once again, it will be helpwil one two two. Thank you so much. Any donation helps.
2: The team focuses on taking care of themselves. And I'm not saying that Octiva doesn't work long hours. We have objectives to be done. I just came off a 30-day, seven days a week run. That's startup, right? But when those points and times happen, uh, the team knows when they can take off. I've had folks to say, listen, no, I'm done for today. I'll get back with you. No, if that happens every day, we're going to have a problem. However, the team, because I've empowered them to make the decisions and deliver on their deliverable and their objectives, they make those choices. And so they know how to manage what we need to achieve and how to take care of themselves. Sometimes those are in conflict with each other, but that's a startup world. But we do try to go back to our center of gravity and we do try to take care of each other.
0: welcome i am your host dino cattaneo and you're listening to authentic leadership for everyday people the podcast where we investigate the connection between effective leadership and authenticity if you're looking for inspiration and tips on how to become a better leader by being your true self you're in the right place. I hope you enjoyed our two last episodes, the one with the best of the business jargon that drives you crazy, and the special episode that was dedicated to what company leaders should be thinking as they try to navigate the organizational complexity that was brought on by the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe versus Wade. Our guest today is Cody Hall, founder of Octiva. Cody is a Marines veteran who after spending time in larger organizations decided to start a company that solves a big healthcare issue, the transition care for patients after they get dismissed from an hospital. In our conversation, Cody talked about how the different experiences he had from being in the military to working in companies like Apple, led him to the insight that he needed to operate in a nimbler and more entrepreneurial environment. He also shared how he's building a company culture that emphasizes the need for employee self-care, even in a fast-paced startup environment. And we finished our conversation with a discussion of an important trend that is emerging in healthcare. Before we start the episode, I want to remind you that I will send a free copy of Bill Prince book, Improvisational Leadership to the author of my favorite review left on Apple Podcast in July, and a copy of Susan Catania's album, All Is Quiet, to the author of my favorite review left in July or August. And now, enjoy the episode. Cody, welcome. Let's start by giving our listeners a chance to meet you. What you're doing now and sort of how do you get to, what's the journey that led you to where you are now?
2: That's a very loaded question. (laughs) So I'm currently the founder and CEO of Octiva Healthcare. Which is a telehealth organization that is going on its second year. Uh, how I got to healthcare and entrepreneurship—I I grew up wanting to do my own thing all the time. You know, we call it entrepreneurship. The military called it insubordination. But <laughs> so I, I made my way through life, kind of always doing what it is I felt needed to be done, and how I felt it needed to be done. It was complemented well at places like Apple and Amazon, which they kind of let you be the right person for the role you're in within certain left and right limits, but I went on a path uh, over six years ago of entrepreneurship and working with startups, and it's something I enjoy getting in at the ground level of organizations and being a part of the, the material change and structure of what hopefully is going to become its its own person. I refer to entities as its own person sometimes, and so it's nice being on the ground level of that, and, and it's great to start your own company like Octiva as well. So
0: it's interesting. You've, you've mentioned your military experience. So you've been part of different type of institutions like the Marine Corps. You've been in large organizations. And then now you're in the startup world. How was the process of figuring out where you were the most yourself? And how did you start defining who you were as a person in these environments?
2: You know it's it's difficult. So in the military, I fit in really well. I come from a military family. I'm very alpha male, very A type, right? So I jumped right in there and it was like putting on the glove. It fit very well. Uh, coming out of that and going into Apple, there aren't too many <laughs> Marines <laughs> in the Apple culture. And so I had to really find myself there and who who I was defined as, as a leader and as a person, a part of a a very diverse workforce and group. Uh, And so it kind of took a little bit of forming, storming, and norming uh, at the Apple level. And then going to Amazon was a completely different culture in itself. Uh, Apple is really, it promotes some of the, individualities and Amazons, you know, they want you to, but they really have a marching order for everybody. So like fall into line, which really isn't my thing. I find myself getting away from the large organizations because they had this, this is what you want you to do. And you're, you're going to do that. And so kind of who I was at different organizations, kind of slowly chipped away at my limestone to make me who I'm at today, which is uh, what I refer to as my most genuine self. I'm me, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And that person either is going to be a, the person you want on your team or sometimes a person who, who's going to bring up the things that you would like to sweep under the rug. But uh, I think I have a really big personality. Uh, and sometimes that doesn't really work for big teams. And so that's why I find myself in the startup world. You
0: are now in a startup and as the CEO, you have the opportunity to set the culture and the tone of your organization. If you were to say, ideally, this is the type of culture that I want, how would you define that? And then what do you bring in from your previous experiences and what you layer on, you know, the things, if you will, that you said you realized those cultures were maybe not necessarily the right culture for you. And so how did you adapt what you experienced before to put in your personal spin on it?
2: Well, I think the Octiva is a result of every culture, both good and bad, that I've been a part of. It is one where everyone's opinion is valued. We have meetings on a daily basis where no matter who you are, can come up with the right solution, whether you're myself or someone who just started yesterday. So everyone has a voice. Uh, it's extremely diverse. I was just having a conversation with my daughter on the way to school today about how we you know, we want diversity and want to accept everyone for the differences because the differences that they bring to the table, their background, their culture, their language, their education makes them a, a different fit for the solution. And so that's what Activa is. It is extremely diverse and it comes from the military, which was not diverse in regards to the type of folks that were in the that branch. Apple, who was... Far one direction, and Amazon who's far the next, and so it really kind of found a middle ground where we have an extreme focus on what we're doing, which is supporting patients, but we don't ignore the fact that we're humans, and then we accept everyone for who they are and their opinions. So it's kind of a bubble. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's a great point. And what do you see as a strength from this culture for you and for your company?
2: Yeah, well, it's no one's marginalized, so therefore they're not silenced. And if they're not silenced, they could be the one who speaks up and brings the right solution. I promise you, if everyone just said, sounds good, Cody, uh, Octiva would have failed a long time ago. <laughs> but we, we have folks come in and disagree with me very passionately <laughs> at times.
0: Do you have uh, examples that you would be willing to share of a situation where somebody came up with a different idea and was able to change your mind?
2: Well, I wanted to reorganize the staffing model for the entire organization because sometimes when I'm drinking coffee and I look at data and hours and numbers and calls and, and calendars, I can, can drive, drive my own database solution on things like staffing. And so I looked at it. I was like, wow, uh, I can save 40 nursing hours a week if we change from a eight hour schedule to a 12 hour schedule and we reorganize the team. I'm like, boom, we just saved $6,500 a month. I like it. So I took that to my team and I said, hey, listen, we're an organization that predominantly supports Spanish-speaking population. We have now determined that that is a requirement for the role. So what I want to do is I want to do a change of status and I want to remove folks from the organization who we spend thousands of dollars a month for translation services for. So we can't do that at our size because it's, it's, it's wasteful. The team came back and Passionately disagreed for an hour (laughs) about how we can complement the staff we have and how moving and decreasing those hours while great on paper actually takes away from the ability to expand for future agreements and things like that. So, where I was seeing very numbers on my morning coffee, they came back and said, Hey, listen, it's great for now and it works for now. However, it's a headache down the road. Uh, And it was it was very it was a great way to end a Friday that type of call everyone was done after that call.
0: That's great And, and just to, to give context to our listeners, you've touched a little bit about what Octiva does but uh, why don't you describe what Octiva does what's the mission?
2: Well our goal as an organization is to bridge the gaps that patients sometimes fall in while transitioning throughout healthcare, whether it's from the hospital back to the primary care, the primary care to the hospital, and everything in between, really when a patient's moving. So what we do is we support patients as they leave hospitals. We have hospital partners that we do a 30-day discharge support program for, where we support hundreds of patients. Moderately high or to high-risk patients get additional support. Uh, And then we also support primary care practices so that physicians, whether they're one physician practice or 10 or 15, we give them the ability at 5 o'clock on the weekend to hang up their white coat and go away for the weekend and not worry about the on-call pressure. Or worried about their patients needing them and having to go to another solution that they may not come back for, which we refer to as leakage. A patient is a, as a physician practices livelihood, and if those patients are lost uh, because they can't support them at that time, then they could be lost forever, and it impacts the doctor's ability and his livelihood, or his or she's livelihood.
0: So, if I understand correctly, you basically are providing off-hour telehealth.
2: Off hour telehealth and transitional support from hospitals. So, if you were to go to the hospital today for you know anything under the sun, and you wanted to have an organization to support you to have a talk to a nurse, talk to a provider, or maybe you do not have transportation or can't afford medication, our organization steps in and searches for those resources, finds them, and, and connects them with you so that you have a successful transition. How do you come up with the business idea? Uh, In a dream. Uh, No, kind of, kind of a joke, but not really. So I was working with a organization called Titan Healthcare, which I uh, helped grow to expand to a very large company today. But I was pressing them to do telehealth. I'm like, hey, listen, we can really bridge some of these social determinants of health, which prevent people from accessing healthcare, if we just go virtual. And so they're like, that's a great idea. Go start your own company. So I did. Uh, So I went out and with support from Titanium and another partner, we created a joint venture uh, that later on expanded beyond just a joint venture into its own organization where we support patients. And I was having a dream one night about how everyone in healthcare, hospitals, emergency departments and clinics are kind of their own island. And when you're stranded on that island, getting to the other island is at times very difficult uh, and it has a high degree of failure. And so I saw these bubbles and just the ability to really put down care pathways between these, uh, reinforce them with nurses and providers, and then increase the success. Uh, our partners who have a 20% readmission rate, which is 20% of the patients fail after discharge, with us, they have below 5%. So reducing the readmission by almost 50% for the entire facility.
0: That's fantastic. And so since you started talking about some of the success measures, in a broader sense, how do you think about success for yourself? Myself personally or the company? Personally and then within the context of the company.
2: Well, I just want to be fulfilled in what I do. I want to wake up excited to work and I want to have time for my family. Uh, I want to maintain health and be able to ensure that I don't spend my entire life running towards the end of the treadmill. and so that's important for me. So I am very me focused, very family focused, uh, which has not always been the case from a, it's taking a lot of failure as a, an entrepreneur to get to my point, but I've failed enough to understand. Uh, as an organization, our, our goal is to make sure that the uh, patients as a whole are supported in the ways that oftentimes are ignored. Really, in healthcare, when someone sees you, whether it's the emergency department, the hospital, the primary care, once they have done their part, it's kind of this mentality of someone else's problem. And so we're trying to become the person in these communities whose problem it is to make sure people are successful. So that's
0: the purpose of the organization, essentially.
2: That's the purpose. So it is a very purpose driven organization. Very purpose driven.
0: How do you balance? purpose and financials
2: yeah that's a good question as an organization who is still running on funding but we will cash flow this year so we're on a we're on a path to actually have positive cash flow but it at a very large investment to get to where we are and no small cost does it take to come into a community and actually lose money for a year, uh, operating and doing things for very low cost to show value to our partners, and then for them to come back and actually be willing to pay for the increased costs. And so we're also an organization that's slightly ahead of its time. We're built for something called value-based care, uh, which is really being a part of the, the patient's overall compensation circle versus what we refer to now as kind of fee for service, which is tick for tack, which is how the system's built right now. So, we're a little bit ahead of our time, but we're going to make it to the reality of value-based care. And that's where Octiva will really become profitable, extremely.
0: How do you communicate that to your team? You know, the balancing of the value of the care, but also the managing a certain amount of financial responsibility.
2: You know, it's difficult because every one of those conversations are different. You have your physician conversations, your nurses, and then your, your general staff. And I, I break them down like that because you're talking to folks, nurses and providers and folks who have gotten into medicine for the purpose of helping the patient. Not always because they're trying to be, you know, multiples of revenue, right? And so the way I always frame it is in order to help the mass We have to be able to be relevant still and be around. And so we want to help more patients. Therefore, we have to grow to grow. Therefore, we have to be efficient and make profit and profit used for growth. And so it's more so like I want to help as many patients as, as possible, but not doing it effectively in a way that's going to allow us to grow will in result eliminate the company and then we can't help anyone. So it's really about the message of we have to survive in order to do the impact that we're trying to do.
0: That's fabulous because I think one of the most interesting challenges to me that leaders face and one of the most fulfilling when they're successful at it is the ability to marry you know a workforce that is very passionate and mission driven with the ability to have the, the financial sustainability so that they can actually pursue their mission. And so you know as you grew into your role as a CEO, What were the key moments for you to sort of start to learn balancing these two sides?
2: I've always been a realist. (laughs) And so from the very beginning, I think transparency is important. And I've always let the team know that, you know, whether from their compensation to our systems, to our growth and personnel numbers, they have always understood that our finances is finite. Uh, I always referred them as, we have just enough water to walk across the desert. Drinking too much now will cause us pain later on, but also not drinking enough today, we will not get to where we're going. And so, it's being able to balance those proportions correctly. And so, the team understands that. They have a mindful approach to our finances. They have an understanding of our staffing. And so... Creating individual leaders at the lowest level and making them responsible for their bubbles of influence creates accountability.
0: How did you form your vision of who you want to be as a leader? And if you can articulate what that is, and then what are you looking for in the people, a different level of really leadership within your team?
2: What I look for in myself is the ability to remain human I think everyone always looks to CEOs. This is the person with the answers. They're perfect. They do everything right. And I've, and I've seen those mentalities time and time again, they they worship the ground they walk on. What I do is when I make a mistake or I, I am the cause of an oversight or communication uh, failure. I hold a meeting and we talk about it and say, Hey, listen, I could have done this better, but we did not. So let's pause, let's assess and let's move forward. And I think, Letting them know that I, too, have failures, I, too, have opportunities uh, is very important because all too often leaders don't – they're not accountable for their actions in regards to, oh, that's my failure. They're they're pawning them off on people. And then also, at their level, uh, it's in reflecting back to me. I've had leaders owning their own opportunities, which is great to have someone say, you know what, that's my fault. I had someone last week say that, you know what, I was in auto agreement mode. When that person came to me, and I apologized because I agreed to what they said, they could have simply just said, you know what, they did that on their own accord, and I would have believed them, except for the fact that they did. And it's like, you know what, I actually remember just agreeing to that on our call. And that's, that's my bad. What it does for the organization, it lets them trust me. I think that pretending to be something I'm not is disingenuous. So I think being the most genuine version of myself, it gets a lot of credit from the team.
0: Is there a moment in your experience as a leader, as a career, where you've been put in front of a situation where you had to make, where the most advantageous choice would have been against your values and how would you have navigated that?
2: I (laughs) impact, you know, even today, Uh, not an example I can share, but moral dilemmas, ethical dilemmas, you know, they, they come up all the time. My biggest thing is, is healthcare is riddled with folks doing the wrong thing. That's, the That's business, uh, not just healthcare, but it's riddled. My one, I always tell people, my one piece of advice to everyone is understand what you want and what you're not willing to do to achieve it. And going against who I am, banning myself, my own morals uh, is something that I don't, I don't stand for. Uh, and I also don't violate laws. So that is my biggest thing is I, I don't break the rules and I don't violate who I am.
0: That is great. You mentioned earlier in our conversation that as you were coming up with your identity as a leader and as an entrepreneur, there were, you, know, you said, oh, I failed enough to figure out who I was or something along this line. Is there a particular moment where you're like, oh, that was a really big lesson that you would be willing to share?
2: Yeah. So when I was leading a stand-up at Apple, we were running out of time. I had just gotten back from a long evolution of military training. And I remember... My uh, vice president saying, would you like someone else to leave this meeting? I know you're you're just now back. Maybe give you a, a little bit of time to get your feet wet again in the Apple world. I said, no, I'm fine. I got this. And so I went out there, and I remember going through the meeting and running out of time. And this gentleman, Eddie, I still remember his face to this day, but he kept talking. So I cut him off. I said, you're done. We're moving forward. And then it kind of, you could feel the shock in the room. I concluded the meeting and then uh, went on with my day. But I think what was really important about that as a leader is understanding when you're not the right person for the job. And at that time, I was not the right person to be leading that meeting, and someone else should have led it.
0: That's an excellent (laughs) lesson. I want to take advantage of your healthcare expertise. Obviously, healthcare is always a big topic and challenging, especially given the the three or four years that we've had. You talked earlier about, value based care what is value based care and what are the advantages for patients in the in the long run
2: that's great and really it really comes down to cost and so and it, and it's how people are compensated and people organizations are compensated in patient care so our current system is what we refer to at large, as a fee for service system. And it's if you get seen by someone, they're paid for seeing you for that instance. If they see you again, they're paid again and again. And so it's kind of like the numbers game. Uh, what we refer to sometimes as beds and heads. The quicker you can get a person in a bed and out of the bed, the more money you can make. Uh, and that's how facilities and organizations operate at large. Value-based care is bringing all those players, the insurance plan, the hospital, the emergency department, the primary care, to a circular table, and everyone has a piece of the pie. And they're all responsible for how well this person, how good their health is. And so if the patient's successful, everyone wins. If the patient's not successful, everyone has downside. And so value-based care is really making everyone in the patient's journey a shareholder in the patient's success.
0: And what are the steps? You said it's something that's coming in the future. Yes.
2: So, something called CMS, the Center of Medical Services for the country. They run Medicare as well as Medicaid. They're pushing everyone that direction. It's uh, it's involved in the way that they're changing their businesses. And usually, if CMS does it, everyone's going to be kind of pushed that way because everyone uses them as a lead in regards to change. And so, Folks like primary cares are starting to get paid based per patient per month, which they're they're paid a lump sum per month to manage the patient. If they manage the patient well, they save money. Therefore, they make money. If they do not manage the patient well and the patient costs more to care for than they made, then they lose money. And so it's really putting folks that says, hey, this is your $100 to take care of Cody for the month of June. And if Cody costs $150, you lost $50. If Cody costs $25, you made $75. And so it's really putting the management of the patient at every individual level. Why this is really important for me is because right now there's really not a whole lot of responsibility in the transition portion when the patient is going from the primary care to the hospital or the hospital to the primary care. Because when they're leaving the hospital, there are very few penalties and things put in place to incentivize the hospital to care for that patient after they've discharged. Some of the groups, some of our partners are really progressive and wanting to get ahead of the change curve. Uh, and then primary care is at large, for the most part, if the patient is not in their clinic, they're not really concerned too much with what's going on with them. It's that 15 minutes they're in front of that doctor or that provider that matter to them. And value-based care is making that patient matter all the time, making everyone vested in their success.
0: So you covered the legislative aspect, you covered the incentive portion, but what about the infrastructure? What is needed to have all these stakeholders, caregivers, providers coordinate in the care of a patient? Like how is information exchanged for them? As I said, what is infrastructure that is gonna support that and where are we with that?
2: Oh yeah, I mean, the continuity of information of patients, is a, is a huge hurdle that we all have to face. There's sparse systems that support patients. And then there's, a, a, you'd be surprised, a large part of the healthcare system that is on paper and facts still to this day. And so I think that there's a, a way to change healthcare and make and make progress without trying to necessarily change everything at once. I know as a world, we like change now. Uh, and then we realize that trying to change everything immediately never holds. And then we just go back to doing what we were doing before. So I think from the side of change, it needs to start originating with the larger shareholders, which is the plans and the hospitals. They, The hospitals need to take more involvement in the patients after they leave the facility. Uh, and then that puts pressure on change. The The payers, the health plans, they need to reimburse currently better for when patients are seen in transition. And so because right now there are very few organizations that actually do what we call transitional care codes, which is actually pay for patients while they're in transition and so the way we currently operate is really the hospital sees value in the patient's successful transition so they compensate us and then when we're supporting primary care practices they see value in being able to rest on the weekends and evenings and value in keeping their patients close to them so we don't really have any we actually do not have any relationships with the pairs right now because of red tape, we we can't charge the hospital and then also charge the payer. It's a kickback statue. Uh, and so we can't really be double incentivizing ourselves right now. However, there's really no incentive in our space. So we have to get creative and work with partners who are progressive.
0: That's great. So thank you so much for this part. Now, I always like to have my guests have tips for other leaders or people who are becoming leaders. So... Somebody who has listened to this, has heard your story as an entrepreneur, as somebody who has developed a passion or a vision, they're walking into their office tomorrow morning and want to start, apply some of the key lessons. What are the two or three tips that you would have for somebody to become a better leader based on your own experience?
2: Well, I think that it starts intrinsically. I could tell you a million ways how everyone believes you should lead. I think that by taking care of yourself first will make you the best version of you. And so you need to concentrate on your health. There's the Jeff Bezos out there, and then there's Elon Musk. Jeff Bezos believes in eight hours of sleep every night, and Elon Musk works 18 hours a day. I'm a Jeff Bezos. I'm a person who believes in personal time because recovery and eased mind generates creativity and allows you to be innovative and to make the changes. It also gives you the ability to be a more absorbent of change and things that you're not expecting, like fires and disasters that entrepreneurs experience on a daily basis in a startup. And so I think that everyone should uh, see therapy. I see therapy for an hour and a half every week. My 6.30 to 8 o'clock every Thursday morning where my very specialized coach and psychiatrist helps me navigate relationships, helps me navigate internal challenges personally. And it allows me to, when I go to my team and I'm in my meetings, to be as available as I possibly can for them. And that's what being a leader is. It's being able to support the people that are reporting to you, that are entrusted in you to be successful. So you can't take care of them if you don't take care of yourself. So this mentality of let's burn candles on both sides until there's no candle left, I've lived it. And I've had disaster after disaster every couple of years where you can't juggle any more cones anymore before they all come crumbling down. So You should definitely take care of yourself and that will allow you to be patient, allow you to be present and be the best version of yourself.
0: I really like that because I also think that by having the CEO model this behavior for the whole organization encourages people to have this behavior. And this may be just a qualitative observation. I'm wondering, have you seen a benefit in the way your whole team operates by the fact that you're role modeling this behavior for them and then they're actually doing it?
2: Yeah, I mean, the the team focuses on taking care of themselves. I mean, And I'm not saying that Octiva doesn't work long hours. And if we have objectives to be done, uh, I just came off a 30-day, seven days a week uh, run. So that's startup, right? But when those points and times happen, uh, the team knows when they can take off. I've had folks to say, listen, no, I'm done for today. I'll get back with you. Now, if that happens every day, we're going to have a problem. However, the team, because I've empowered them to make the decisions and deliver on their deliverable and their objectives, they make those choices. And so they know how to manage what we need to achieve and how to take care of themselves. Sometimes those are in conflict with each other, but that's a startup world. But we do try to go back to our center of gravity and we do try to take care of each other.
0: That's fabulous. I'm going to now move to a little bit more of a personal part of this conversation. Uh, Do you have an interest or an hobby outside of work that has impacted the way you work? And would you mind talking to us about it?
2: Well, yeah. (laughs) So over the past decade, I've burned through some relationships, marriages, friends. And I, I consider myself a very lone wolf because I've been so focused on my work. And now uh, I focus on my relationship. Uh, I say my hobby is making sure I can be the best partner I can to my my person. And then making sure I can be a, a present father uh, is very important to me. And that is, that is my hobby outside of work. Because I've selfishly, I've had my hobby, which is My entrepreneurship, my companies and things that I've enjoyed and I've committed everything to at no regard to anything else. And so now I balance them as well as I possibly can. So when I'm not not working, I try to hang out with my family as much as possible.
0: That's fabulous. Second question. This is my favorite question of the podcast. Every era has this jargon, business expressions or cliches. Is there one that
2: drives you crazy? And what is it? Let's see. <laughs> I hate with a, just a distaste the word disruption. <laughs> so let's be disruptors. Uh, no, let's not. <laughs> I think that there are disruption that needs to take place, but I also believe that disruption has collateral, collateral damage. So I just dislike the phrase disruption. Let's be a disruptor.
0: Love it. Final question, I call it food for your body or food for your soul. And you can pick, you can do one of the two or both. So food for your body would be, is there a recipe or a drink or something that really makes you feel good? Or food for your soul, is there a book, a
2: movie, a piece of art, a piece of theater, or something that nourishes you? And obviously, what is it? I have a mixture. So I have a, I have a routine every morning from 5 to 6 a.m., but it's both physical and mental. And so I, you know, as, as professionals, we're always reading and doing things and learning, but it's not for necessarily us. So I practice my Spanish every morning, as well as I do yoga and exercise. And so, I believe there are one, make sure that, you know, taking care of my physical being, and the other one is making sure that I'm growing a part of my brain that is not my primary part of my brain. So, I'm very logical-oriented, numbers-based, not necessarily language-based. So, I'm trying to grow that portion.
0: That's fabulous. Cody, thank you so much for your time and for being so transparent and honest. <laughs> what I do. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, please tell a friend who may enjoy enjoyed it too that they should listen to it. And if you really like the show, tell all your friends and post about it on social media. Every little bit helps. Make sure you're subscribed on your favorite listening platform so that you don't miss the episodes when I release them. And if you listen on a platform that allows reviews, please leave us a rating or a review. Remember, I'm giving away a couple of freebies to my favorite reviews left on Apple Podcasts in July and August. As usual, stick around. Because at the end of the credits, I'm going to share a song by one of Boston's best Americana singer-songwriters, Susan Cattaneo. To find out more about Octiva, go to their website, octivahealthcare.com, spelled O-C-T-I-V-A-H-E-A-L-T-H-C-A-R-E.com. You can find me online at al4ep.com with the number 4, and you can email me at dino at al4ep.com. On Twitter and Instagram, the handle for the show is at AL4EDP. And on Facebook, you can just look for the show Authentic Leadership for Everyday People. This episode was produced by me, Dino Cattaneo, with additional edits by Pro Podcast Solutions. It was recorded remotely using Squadcast.fm. The theme music was composed, produced, and arranged by Nicolas Cattaneo, who also played keyboards and drums, with Tony Savarino on guitar and Jesse Williams on bass. As promised... Here is a song by Susan Catania. It's from her first album, Brave and Wild, and it's called Love takes what it takes, till it takes.
3: Uh oh, no.